0: This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to Innovation in Compliance. In this podcast series, I will bring you interviews with some of the leading experts who are changing the way practitioners approach compliance. Although the name compliance is in the title, it's really about innovation. And I wanted to drive the conversation about innovation in compliance into the twenty. 30s and beyond with a focus on innovations for the compliance practitioner and the compliance professional. You want to learn how to bring your business into an innovative state and more innovative business solutions for compliance problems, issues, and concerns. This is the podcast for you. Innovation and Compliance is a production of Compliance Podcast Network. This episode I visit with Dr. Karen Jacobson. She is a leadership expert and she's got some very innovative ideas on how the compliance professional can lead not only internally in a compliance function but literally across an organization. I know you'll enjoy this episode. First a message from the sponsor of the Compliance Podcast Network this month, Ethico.
1: In the intricate world of ethics and compliance, each second is precious, and slow case closures are more than just delays, they're missed opportunities. Enter Ethico. Our solution revolutionizes case management, cutting case closure times in half and turning every challenge into a chance for improvement. Imagine a workspace where efficiency and compliance coexist harmoniously. Don't just dream of faster resolutions, make it your reality. Visit ethico.com slash CPN today to book a demo and dive into our exclusive white paper by Tom Fox, 2023, the year in compliance. Empower your
0: team with the tools they deserve. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox back for another episode and you are in for a treat today. Why? Because I'm in for a treat. Because I'm talking to Dr. Karen Jacobson. Dr. Jacobson, first of all, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today.
1: Oh, thank you for having me on your show, Tom.
0: Karen, you have a... As varied a background as anyone I have ever interviewed. So could you tell us tell our audience a little bit about your background and what you what brought it, where it brought it to you today? And We'll do the short
1: version, and it, it included starting in New York with a stint of fifteen years, which is all of my elementary through military in the in Israel then back to New York and currently located in Arizona. I started off my career as a healthcare provider. I ran chiropractic offices both in New York and in Arizona. And at one point had made a career shift to speaking and business consulting which is where I am today. My main focus comes from my background, whether it is has been from my experiences through war and military, as well as healthcare. And with a little twist of uh, my lessons from being a competitive, amateur competitive ballroom dancer, I, I focus on alignment, on team development and leadership.
0: So one of the reasons I was so intrigued to visit with you one, because of your background, two, how you focus on behavior, behavioral styles. That is not something that gets, frankly, enough play to my primary audience in compliance. So I thought maybe if you could tell us a little bit about that, how you help businesses to understand that and what that might mean for a compliance, a chief compliance officer or a compliance professional trying to do compliance inside of an organization
1: absolutely and a lot of that comes tom from my personal experience when i and and, and as, as soon as you say compliance i already get the picture of behavior somebody who is really great with detail somebody is great with order follow through and is also going to be great with administration and the truth being is that is not me and the time that i discovered that was when i was in the army so when i was in the army in israel originally It was a time when I had some health challenges, and my original aspirations of becoming an officer did not pan out for a while. They put me in a room in front of a computer with stacks of paperwork, and my job was to prepare and set up the intel that we have received and document it. For those of us that are a little older will remember the keyhole punchers that were down in the basement transcribing everything so that we can put it and input it onto the old computer systems. And I will say that sitting in a room without windows in front of a computer was never one of my strengths. And it literally led to a breakdown that I had when I was in the service. Fast forward when I started digging into behavioral sciences and understanding how as individuals, our behavior and our skill sets will also affect the position that we're in, the jobs that we can do and where we can excel. I I honestly wish that in the military years ago, they would have run a disc, a talent test, something to actually see where somebody can fit into their job. And that's what brought me to really digging into organizations and making sure that it's right person, right fit, right skill set and highlighting those to build a high performing team.
0: I'm also intrigued by your work as a chiropractor and I say that as a long term chiropractic patient certainly for some acute issues I've had with joints and muscles, but I've also used it as extensive rehabilitation and extensive preventive medicine. So how does your chiropractic work tie into your current work around behavior?
1: One of the areas that really came up as a chiropractor for me is understanding people, not just their behavior that created habits and some of those habits will affect the way we, whether it's the way we present ourselves posturally, confidence and posture. We know those are tied together. Work positioning And repetitive movements, those are tied together. So that can tie into the physical challenges. But what that also gave me is a holistic approach to view a problem and diagnose it. So when I go into an organization and I look at a team, I look at the leadership, I look even at whether it's middle management or others, I'll actually come as a diagnostician. And I'll look at what some of the symptoms are that they are showing and what might be the problems behind those symptoms. And when we talk about alignment, one of the areas in chiropractic, which you probably had the opportunity to experience, especially on the wellness level, is that when we remove the interference, there's natural flow. It happens to be in the nerve system or it will be within an organization. So that alignment is essential with the flow and the function of an organization. And it does cover things like complying. I'm I'm working with an organization right now, which is power and energy, and they're all about following compliance.
0: So the workplace today, one of the challenges is we literally have five separate generations sometimes working in an office sometimes working remotely, but working together. So what I always try to start with a question of how should any business leader think about communicating with their employee base when you literally could have, I suppose you could have six generations if you include the greatest generation. I'm a baby boomer, so I've certainly fallen to that. How do you begin to think through the behavioral styles of someone it could be in their 70s, perhaps 80s, and certainly in their teens or 20s.
1: One of the things that Stephen Covey talks about is the aspect of principle in the five habits of highly effective people. He talks about principle number five, first, seek to understand and then to be understood. And when I go in, if I'm looking at an organization, one of the things is to understand their dynamics, but the other thing is to listen. And we always focus on the aspect of active listening. Your people will, people have asked me, I just sat with a team the other day, and this exact question came up, Tom, because some of the younger operators are a different generation and the management, the leadership team are going to be Gen Xers and baby boomers. And there's a difference in how we show up. However, if you actually listen to values, to ask them about their values, about what they want, what we need As humans, we go through a very similar trajectory in life where we might, we finish school and we look to find our place in the world to create a career and a business. Then we go to create our family. Then after that, we sit in a place now where we go next. And then we look to start building nested and retirement. Now, that does not change whether you're a boomer, whether you're a millennial, whether you're Gen X, whether you're Gen Z, or it will be the same with the alpha generation coming up. What changes is the world around us. Do we have more technology? Do we have less technology? Can we do things faster or slower? Is there the aspect of more competition or more collaboration? Those are the things that we need to understand to listen and to have real, meaningful, powerful conversations with each other. And when you can listen and have that powerful conversation, people truly tell you what they want and what they don't want. Now, when it comes to the things that people want or don't want in the workplace, obviously that's where we have to follow policy, procedure, compliance, and we cannot just go and haphazardly change things but there has to be openness on both sides and that flexibility to work and come together and meet on common ground.
0: I have a friend who talked me into studying design thinking, which I did. And I love the phrase user experience, or it's all about the UX. And I think I just heard you say that perhaps in a different way, but I always try to focus on what's the user experience for the compliance professional. The user is corporate employees, whether you're communicating with them, whether you're training to them, whether you're marketing to them through social media, whatever it may be. So I was wondering if you could say a few words about how a business leader should think through that communication aspect after you've listened.
1: As we said, we have to diagnose first, where are the gaps, having to understand where the issues are. And then when it comes to compliance, if I look at it from the point that we started originally talking about behavior, talking, adding now generation, even adding any of the diversity of cultural differences, if we do have to take all of those into account, if we are communicating, we have to understand who our audience is and speak to their needs. So if I am going to explain aspects of compliance and it's very technical and I'm speaking to a technical audience, go ahead, speak their language. But if I have to communicate that same message to an audience that is more uh, behavior style, is more feeling based, is more emotional based and does not understand the jargon, does not understand the, the language, then I need to adapt my language to my audience so that it, it can resonate with them and they can actually comprehend and then own.
0: I'm going to categorize you as multinational. I hope that's not offensive because, as you've told us, you lived in Israel and now live in the United States. You came from outside the United States. I was the other way around. I went and lived in foreign countries, but obviously an American. How do Americans or how should American business leaders think through their communication strategy when you get outside the United States? It's got to be more than listening. How do you advise people and to do that, American business leaders, when they go outside the U.S.?
1: That's that. That's an, a great question because one of the things that I've experienced, having been born here and English being my mother tongue, and moving to Israel when I was six years old, I had a gap of about six months, my or the second half of my kindergarten, where I actually have almost no recollection because of that language barrier. Today, we're in a different, especially in the business world, we're in a different place that we have the benefit of many people being multilingual. Now, most of the time, when you see challenges, business-wise, it's because people come with their opinions, with their thoughts, with their conscious and unconscious bias, and look to bring their format elsewhere. As an example, if you're going to Europe and you were going in the past, and you just walk around, you expect people to speak English and you're not even attempting to speak their language, then you'll encounter a challenge. So for a smart business person in today's world, whether you're doing this face-to-face or whether you're doing this remote, is to go about connecting and understanding the culture that you're going to dip into. Understanding their customs, learning some of their language learning their habits, learning some of the etiquette and the policy. There's a lot when when I've done some of the communication training with clients and I've talked about differences, as an example, in hand gestures. There's certain gestures that might be completely okay in the American culture. You better not use them outside of the U.S. because you will insult people and anger people. And so... A simple thing which the beauty of the internet provides today, if I was going as an example to work with a company in Japan, then I best get online, start learning some of their habits, some of their culture, what is right, what is wrong, and how to connect with them and get Babbel or Rosetta Stone and learn some of their language so that I can connect with them in their language.
0: How do you coach or help a business leader understand their personal strengths? And then how do you advocate that they lead with those strengths?
1: So one of the things that is really important for um, any organization, but specifically when I'm dealing with leaders, when I'm working with C-suite or middle management, and they want to make the changes is first give them some type of measure. So they're looking for some type of KPI, some type of proof so that they'll be able to see pre and post and also be able to see something tangible. So we go in with assessments and whether it is running a 360 for an organization or whether it is doing behavioral assessments, which will provide DISC, motivators, Hartman axiology. There's a suite of assessments that we can provide that come in as the diagnostic tool and based on that we co-create a program that would fit their needs because those that diagnostic will help highlight and elevate their individual skill sets how they do things why they do things and at times if we're if we're using hartman or axiology it will also show how they position themselves, their view of the world. So it really helps them receive a very objective measure of their behavior as well as their skills. Now, based on that, we can coach to specific things.
0: One of my observations coming from the corporate world is or was that competent employees, sometimes hyper-competent employees would be promoted to middle management. And the skills that got them the promotion, their technical competence are not, it's not that they don't translate into skills for middle managers, but they need an entirely different set of skills. And I'm gonna tie that to compliance in the following manner. Most internal reporting is not anonymous whistleblowers. It's not someone picking up the hotline and calling compliance. It's someone going into their boss's office. And that boss is typically middle management and saying, hey, I saw this, or hey, I'd like to tell you about something, or something worries me. And so a lot of middle managers really struggle with how to intake that, how to uh, get that information to an appropriate decision maker to determine if an investigation is necessary. How do you help coach a middle manager, or how would you help design a program for a company to give middle managers that skill beyond simply Technical competence that may have gotten them the promotion,
1: and, and one and and what you're talking about specifically today is is the old style of uh, promotion based on the Peter Principle, and the fact is that what does not happen in the promotion through the Peter Principle is because we were promoted from within, we still have that mindset of the worker. Most of the training that I see when I work with organizations is that they've received technical skills on how to give feedback, how to write a report, how to write an incident, but they don't have what people might call soft skills, what I really refer to as the core skills. I don't see anything soft in being able to know how to reduce conflict, how to converse with another human being, how to motivate someone. Those are core skills. Those are core human connection skills. Those are the things that need to be brought in. And one of the things that I I started working with organizations is to reverse engineer. If I'm looking at bringing someone into a middle management position, I'd like to know that is one of their goals from the day I hire them, because that's how I can cultivate better leaders And provide them with better opportunity, not only to understand their position, but to grow with their personal and interpersonal skill sets. One of the ways to resolve that is create a boot camp. For those middle managers. We're working on one of those with one of my clients right now because that same problem has not only the same problem has come up, but when somebody is promoted because of their technical skill sets and they still have that technical skill set and aptitude, when their compliance issues, when their problems and challenges, their immediate instinct is to go and want to fix things on the ground but there has not been a shift in their mindset to realize I am no longer the frontline worker. I am now not even, I'm the manager and potentially the leader. So while I might have the individual knowledge, it's not always my job to go in and fix that error. It's my job to Number one, make sure that my team members have the proper training, that safety is handled properly, and that if there is an issue, then there can be more peer-to-peer work as far as support, mentorship, and correction of the issues. The other side is, like what you're asking, if somebody comes in and there is that type of compliance issue and it has to come up the ladder, How do we have those conversations and bridge between the frontline people and the executive leadership? And those are the skills that they need to have. So, having better conversations, what I call power conversations, learning how to present things with the fact without bias and without pointing fingers, without guilt, and coming. I just had with a a client, we had a situation like this a couple of weeks ago they had there was a big faux pas and i was in working with them in in their organization we were doing a strategy day and the director had to step out and when he came back he looked like he lost his his best friend because while he was while he's the head of the department he got reprimanded and I'm looking at the rest of the team and they don't even know how to handle that either. And so we had to talk about the differences between, first of all, between old world leadership, which might be carrot and stick, very autocratic and very very authoritative, but also there's holding a lot of blame. And does that really support from the point of an individual and point of growth, does it really support or empower the leader to resolve the problem? Or does it just feel like a beating?
0: That really leads to one of the last areas I wanted to visit with you about, and that's your book writing, specifically the book, Power Conversations. I'm an author too, so I have to start with some author geek questions. Uh, for instance, what's your writing style? So for me, I'm great from 6am to about noon. Can't write a lick afternoon. Is there a time you write? Do you, what's your writing process?
1: I have usually, usually I'll have, I'll have certain thoughts that come in early in the morning, but most of my creative writing is actually (laughs) later at night when it's really quiet. I can put on some some classical or instrumental music and just let my mind drift i will have at times what i call flashes or insights where things might come up and i hold i i use technology for that and hold a hold hold a phone handy so that i can dictate something and transcribe it later on
0: so tell us about power conversations why did you write it who's the audience and what's been the response
1: Power Conversation was my first solo book, and it is basically a book of tips on how to communicate, how to behave, whether it's from the minute you shake a hand and want to create a a first impression to a lasting connection. And it's all about, it it encompasses some of the things that we talked about, which might include the behavior aspects, the generational aspects, how to reduce conflict, how to call somebody, pull somebody off the cliff, how to interview properly. It is a guide and a handbook for, it was written originally for middle management and above in order to handle these conversation issues. But I've also had, I remember having one of my clients said that they gave it as a gift to their teenager because it was something that was helpful for them. It's written in a very easy fashion. There's some exercises in it in, in some of the areas, but it's short, very specific guides on how to.
0: The, what would you say has been the response as if you had any feedback or Uh, Maybe the question is, when's the next one coming out?
1: So the next one that is in the works is the uh, is a guide for the five generations and the outline for that. Again, it will be. So so the the generational program has been in the past one of my leading keynote speeches and organizations have brought me in anything from a golf club association, to marketing associations, to travel industry, to healthcare, and so in doing the research and understanding the different values, the different approaches that the five generations have in each one of those areas, the book is divided as a guide to, again, give information, on how the different generations view the world, what their values are in those different arenas, in finance, in family dynamics, at the workplace. And it's a reference book that people can use, especially to answer that question that you were talking about. How do we talk to the different generation? Because the answers will be in that book.
0: Dr. Jacobson, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you, if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, any of the topics we've touched on, certainly your book, what might be the best place or places for them to go? So
1: to accommodate the different generations, we have information Tom, on all different channels of social media, from having the website to Twitter or X as we call it now, to Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and everything is under Dr. Karen Jacobson with a -A J-A-C-O-B-S-O-N.
0: Dr. Jacobson, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. I greatly enjoyed our podcast recording, and I hope we can continue this conversation.
1: I would love to do that, and I will see you in the C-suite.
0: This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of Innovation in Compliance. We've linked to Dr. Lazuni's LinkedIn profile in the show notes, as well as to aware.com. I hope you will check out their site. As I said in the intro, they're doing some very interesting things around biometric data and compliance. This will be the final episode for Innovation and Compliance in 2023. I want to wish all of our listeners a most joyous and happy holiday season, and I hope you'll plan to join us in 2024 for Innovation and Compliance. Innovation and Compliance is a production of the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network.